Good evening. Happy to see everyone here. I don't want to put you to sleep. Cambry's already there, so I don't want to. Uh, we're already off to a bad start. If she's nodded off, Mary had to work this afternoon, and Mary said if she, uh, if it's boring or not good, she'll fall asleep right there in the back. So if I see people kill over tonight, I'll know we got to wrap this on up. Tonight we're going to talk about, as you can see here on the screen, the parent-child relationship. The parent-child relationship. And you may be thinking, you may be considering, uh, does this relate or does this go with what we talked about this morning? I think so. Uh, I, I, I think so. We talked about mothers uh, this morning, but tonight we're going to talk about Broken relationships. But also, not just that, but the responsibility that the parent has and the children have to hopefully avoid that. <clears throat> now, when you hear parent-child, you're probably thinking about some kind of age on this. You might be thinking, well, I'm not a child. I stopped being a child at a certain age. But I think we never really stop being a child. And I think it's also important to note when we think about this idea of a parent-child relationship, that that's a relationship that starts before the child's even born. But I'd also argue that that's a relationship that continues even after perhaps the parent is gone. That relationship is still there. It still plays a role. The family is a divine arrangement. In Psalm chapter 127, Psalm 127, verse 3, we read, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And that's a great, great verse. But unfortunately, if you live, unless you live in some sort of isolation, you know, if you live in some kind of cave where you never see anybody, then you've actually seen a broken family relationship. Might be a friend, might be a relative, might be within your own family. It could be any number of things. But families will fall apart for any number of reasons. It could be a short-term thing. It could be a long-term thing. It could be something minor or minuscule. It could be something that's sort of built and built and built over time. But all of those types of things can lead to a sort of breaking, a sort of collapse of family relationship. So the question is, why does this happen? Why are there family relationships that are broken? Well, if you were to ask, just a real quick survey of people, why are family relationships broken? Well, you're going to get a litany of societal answers right off the bat. It's different now than it used to be. It used to be like that. People don't take their marriage, they don't take their family serious like they used to didn't used to be this way. I would challenge you to not do that. I would challenge you to look up a quote from Socrates, one of the smartest people in the world. Socrates died 399 years before Jesus was born. Socrates said that the youth of the day are disrespectful to the elders and they'd rather talk than work. <laughs> Well, he'd have fit in good right now, wouldn't he? So it tells us that all of these things that sort of sever ties, all these issues that we sometimes throw out to help people win elections and all that are actually things that have existed for a long time. You say, okay, well, that's Socrates. Well, there's actually 
biblical examples of these kinds of things happen as well. Frayed and broken relationships. Let's start with the very first biblical relationship. The first relationship that we read about in the Bible is between God and Adam and Eve, right? And it went swell. Perfect. You don't have to read too far. By chapter 3 of the Bible, things are already going wrong. You remember how the story goes, right? They said, you can eat of anything, but not this one tree. What they do? They ate them. And then they started blaming other people, right? Well, the serpent told me to do it. Well, she, this woman that you gave me, I think Adam exactly says, to, uh, to, to, to God right there. But they immediately blamed each other. I'm sure there was a frayed relationship. I have no idea what the conversation with Adam and Eve would have been like when they left the garden, but I can't imagine it was good. They were probably thinking about what they had done wrong, and I'd say there was probably, mm, probably, you probably messed this up too, right? You get a little bit of that kind of thing. But to show you, there are frayed relationships. Anybody ever had relationships fray or break because of poor decisions? They happen. They happen. So think about another one. What about Abraham? He twice offered up his own wife out of his own selfish fears. Sarah, his own wife, treated Hagar, her servant, awful. And she treated the child of that relationship bad as well. It's funny because we praised her this morning, right? Something negative right now. Lot offered up his daughters to all the townsmen. You think about others. Well, what about that relationship between, we talked about this morning, David, Bathsheba, and Uriah? That probably didn't go over real well. James and John, they was arguing. They wanted to sit on the right hand of Jesus. That's all. That seemed like that was what they wanted more than anything. You can read that read about that in the Gospels. What about the blind man in John 9 that was healed, and then the Pharisees kicked him out, and his parents said, I you know. He ain't, he's not us. We don't want to be kicked out of the temple. You know, they looked at something that, they, that happened to their child and they said, well, we, eh, we don't want to be part of that. The Bible is chock full of relationship issues. It's chock full of problems that arise between people. I would also posit that these kind of things will always happen because people are people. If everything worked perfectly in life, it would be great for me, but it probably wouldn't be too good for you all, right? The problem is we kind of desire these things to work perfect. I'm teaching this lesson tonight because of what we taught this morning. A lot of our examples this morning, we praise these people. We also have to realize that the people that we praise this morning were fallible. We are fallible as well. We make mistakes. If we are not careful, we will sever those kinds of relationships. That doesn't even make us a bad person. It just makes mistakes that can cause relationships to break. We may not be able to fix all familiar problems, but tonight I do want to look at a couple of things that the parent can do and a couple of things that the child can do. Let's talk first of all about let's talk first of all about the responsibility of Parents. Well, first of all, perhaps the first most important thing is that parents are to provide materially for their children. They are their child, and they are to provide for this child. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 8, we read, But if anyone does not provide for his own, these are not new verses for you, but especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith 
The Bible says in the New King James that he's worse than an unbeliever. I think the word infidel might be used in some old King James versions right there as well. That's the first responsibility, to provide materially for your child. Your child has to be fed. Your child has to be clothed. And your child needs to have a roof over their head. Now, what does materially not mean? Well, they don't have to have everything. There were things growing up that I know that Jess and I would have liked to have had, but for whatever reason, we couldn't have it. It might have been because it cost too much, but it also might have been mom and dad making a wise decision that you don't really need that. That might become a distraction to something else that you really do need. Material provision does not mean all everything handed over. But we are aware of the fact that that is a responsibility for the parent. Number two, what we read there this moment in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, bring their children up in the two things there, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. Let's think about what those two words mean for just a second. That's in Ephesians 6, 4. First of all, nurture. When I taught sociology, one of the things we would always debate with kids was nature versus nurture. And there's no solution to that problem. There's nurture plays a role, but nature plays a role in that as well. But to nurture is to treat well. To, to, to feed, to comfort, to sort of build that child up. That's an important role. Nurture, but also to admonish. Admonition is to tell someone when they did wrong. They ain't going to want to hear it. Still got to tell them anyway. When the child makes a mistake, they have to be told. Because if they make a mistake and it doesn't get fixed, what happens the next time? Mistake plus more. So there has to be nurture and admonition. And it says of the Lord. That's within the church. That's the responsibility of the parent to raise the child within that nurture and admonition of the Lord. If God says yes, we say yes. If God says no, we say no. That's nurture and admonition. Third thing, not to provoke their children to wrath. You ever known somebody, I'm not talking about parents, you ever known somebody who just like to provoke. Just stir it up all the time. Ain't nothing I like better than before we leave here tonight for Ben to just be mad and fire. Ben goes home, he's mad for a month, and I'll leave a <laughs> success, right? There are people that seem to enjoy that. They seem to sort of revel in that. How mad can I make you? What if that's the responsibility of the parent to make the child mad all the time? You think there's going to be some dislike that emerges from that? Any child who's ever going to grow up has had these moments where, oh, they, 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 dad makes me madder than fire. That just happens. The reason is from those first two things that we already talked about. I wanted this and I didn't get it. But if that teaching, if that nurturing, if that admonition is there, there's a recognition that, well, they probably know what's right. And I don't mean to sound like an older person now, but I'm starting to realize that as I've gotten older, right? Kind of learned that mom and dad knew a little more than what they thought about. But what if mom and dad, what if the father here as we read is provoking children to wrath? Just make you mad. Just aggravate. You're not holding your responsibility. You're not doing anyone a service thing. In Colossians 3 verse 21, almost a similar Verse in Ephesians chapter 6 and 4, it ends by saying not to discourage their children. I'm reading a book right now. It's a novel. But in this book, this, these kids are hockey players. They're youth hockey players. But one of the, it's all these different families. 
It shows how kids come from just different spots. But one of the store, one of the kids is the best hockey player on the team. But his parents have all sorts of money and they provide him everything, but they don't come to the games. And to me, that would be very discouraging. I understand that my parents might not be able to make this or that, but I would want to be encouraged. And I think we see that in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, that we should encourage our, that's a responsibility to encourage the child. If the child wants to participate in something, if it's safe, you know, don't, they won't jump off a bridge, we're going to say yes to that. But they want, we should encourage them. Too often, and I have to be careful of this myself, too often the kid says, I would maybe like to do this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem interesting to me. Nope, we're not going to do it. But you want to do something that I like? Yeah, absolutely. You see what that is? If somebody, if the child comes to you and says, I want to play this sport, or I want to read this book, or I want to do this or that, and I don't know anything about it, it's not, oh, don't do that. Let's see what it's like. You'll give it a year, give it some time, see if it works. It may not. It may do. But the role of the parent should be to encourage, not to discourage. Last thing you see right there is to set a proper example for the child. Whatever it is, breaking this thing. Whatever it is should be a proper example set. Whatever it may be. Just remember, it's always setting an example. I think about this all the time as a school teacher. Like always setting an example. They don't know it. They're not saying, oh yeah, that's actually what it is. But they're always seeing some kind of example. We have to do that for children as well. Let's flip to the other side then. It's easy to say, well, this is what the parents need to do. But we also have to look at what is the responsibility of children. Because this is important as well. Because if one person holds up their end of the bargain, but the other person doesn't, that relationship's going to fray a little bit, right? You never know anybody that you have helped and helped and helped, and they have never done a single thing for you. You may go back and help again, but it's frustrating though, right? That's frustrating to us that that kind of thing might happen. Well, first of all, let's talk about the responsibility of children. Well, what Jameson read there this morning, you go, number one, obey their parents. That's the good part, right? When you're the parent, you can say, it's time to obey. You got to obey. You got to obey. Do it. Do it. Do it. Obey the child. But in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20, we read, children obey the parents because this is well-pleasing to the Lord. But... That kind of command, whatever that obeying is, has to be in agreement with God. We can't just say, obey me. Why? Because I said so. Waited 40 years to be able to say that. Now I'm realizing I can't say it. That's not how it works. But we like to do it right. Why? Because I said so. Don't ask questions. We fall into that really quickly. Well, people are inquisitive. I want to know, why, why do I need to do this? Well, you could get killed. Like a reasonable age, okay? You're going to find yourself getting in trouble. Well, I don't really want to do that. This is what God has requested, not of you, but of me. I'm the parent here. I am showing you, by what we just saw a moment ago, the example, what you need to do. If they see you doing it, then it's going to make more sense <clears throat> Excuse me, for them 
to do it as well. If I say, you got to pay attention, you got to behave, you got to do this, 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 and this, and don't look at me, what kind of example am I setting right there? I can't expect the child to do it if I'm not going to do it. We need to follow, as a child, the examples of Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 2 for just a second. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. You'll know this story, but this is Jesus as a pretty young kid. This is Jesus as a young preteen, I guess we'd say. Whatever we call 12-year-olds. I guess I'm about to find that out in about a year. But Luke chapter 2, and let's start with verse 41. His parents, he is here is Jesus, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother, that's Mary, did not know. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought for you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he had spoken to them. Now I'm going to come back to the next two verses here in just a second. But in this story, they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And whenever they left, it's clear that they've left in a group of people. And as they leave, they don't see Jesus with them. But there's clearly enough people that he's probably in the back. He's probably with a relative. He's probably with his friends. They're all back there. We'll we'll get there. Well, then they realize he wasn't there. So they turn around and they go back. And they go back and they are wowed by what he was doing in the temple. He's sitting there with the smartest people that were in the temple asking and answering questions of them. Mary and Joseph walk in. They said, what have you done in a sense? In our language today, you were supposed to be with us. He said, why have you sought me? Do you not know that I was supposed to be about my father's business? Now, that's a lesson in and of itself. But I want to go back to the last two verses, 51 and 52. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. But I like verse 51 right there. Even after he'd sat in the temple, even after he had chatted it up and asked questions, had answered questions, he still had to leave with mom and dad. And when he went back to Nazareth, he still had to pay attention to mom and dad. Ben, I like what you said this morning after the sermon when he was at the marriage of Canaan. You said you can almost envision the, the look on his mother's face. And you can almost envision it right here. Well, this is pretty impressive, but let's go. It's time to go. <laughs> you can still see that right there. When we need to follow the example of Jesus, who was he, in, who was he subject to here on earth? Mom and dad. He was higher ranking than any of them. But he still had a mother and father that he was responsible to. He had to follow through. Honor 
your father and your mother. Respect and obedience go hand in hand. The idea here that we provide for the parents that they can no longer provide for themselves, it almost becomes a role reversal. But there's a respect and an obedience that exists there between the two. You cannot make someone respect you. can make them obey because you can lord over them with some kind of pressure or some kind of threat or something like that. But you can't make them respect you. You can take a kid out and beat them until they're blue in the face, but that ain't going to make them respect them. They might, they might stop behaving the way you want them to quit behaving, but the respect level has to be there. It has to grow. But the only way it grows is if we take these last two slides, what we looked at there just a minute ago, what we're looking at right now, and everybody does their part. Without that, if one person's not doing one part or one person's not doing their part, it's going to fray. It's going to fracture. It's going to break. And it's responsibility of both to fulfill that. So let's go home with a couple of things. As we can see right here. First of all, Family relationship problems have existed since the very beginning. And they always are going to exist. Do not leave here thinking, well, I've got a relationship issue with somebody in my family and I have done all wrong and I, nobody's ever had to deal with this. They have. They always have. Ben talked a little bit about that in our Bible class this morning about how some of the things that we've gone through can serve as an example for other people. And some of those things that people are going through, I can't, well, I haven't went through it. But sometimes we have. But when we have these kind of frayed relationships, we can't say, well, this is the only person that's ever happened. It's happened time and time again. But parents, we have to examine ourselves and as Proverbs 31, 28 says, we have to decide, we have to examine ourselves and figure out if we are worthy of being called blessed. Children, on the flip side, look at ourselves honestly. See, if we're doing the will of Christ by respecting and obeying our parents. You might have noticed something. I said we right there. Every single person in this building is a child of someone. I don't mean a child of God. I mean a child of someone. You have a family tree that has a dad and a mom listed on it somewhere. And our responsibility as a child is to continue to obey those examples that were set by those parents before. But also, if we have people that are under us, under by being on the tree, if we have our own children, it's to set that same example for them as well. This may not solve every relationship. I don't think it would. It's, not imp it's impossible for us to solve that. And if we wanted to, we could dive in a little further and we could list the specific types of problems that we maybe have. You could bring them forward and we could talk about them. But right here is a framework, as it were, sort of a guiding bit of principles for us to think about how can we maybe try to fix this. Now, some of these relationships are already broken. Some things are already frayed. You may never be able to get it back the way it should. I broke my hand in three places when I was a sophomore in high school. Got hit by a pitch playing baseball. And my fingers sort of fused together, the middle finger and the ring finger. And you pull them apart and they sort of come back. But they work a whole lot better right now than they did at the end of that game that night when they were broken. What we have to think about is these broken and frayed relationships. If we just let it sit there, it's going to be completely useless. 
But instead, if we model ourselves after the teachings of Christ, if we do the responsibility that we should have as a parent, as a child, as a friend, whatever it may be, it may not be perfect, but it's a whole lot better than what it had been. I'd encourage you tonight to think about who those relationship issues are with and what kind of issues need to be fixed within. And if there's anything that we can do to help you fix them, we'd invite you to come while we stand and sing. Would you-